So, uh, since I heard about the book reading series, there is one part of my life when I was growing up that stuck me, uh, stuck with me so much. Uh, so I faced an interview panel for an interview. Um, I think I was 15 years. I had never been to any kind of interview like that. I didn't prepare. I didn't know what to expect. I thought they were going to ask questions about what I do in my classroom, you know, science questions and everything, but I was surprised they, I mean, it was just beyond. So I was just waiting for a moment of relief. And uh, it came to the part of hobbies. That moment I was so excited because at least hobbies, you know, everybody loves hobbies. You don't have to recite anything. You don't have to learn anything. It's about you and what you like. So I was excited. But at the same time, I wanted to impress the panel because it was about a scholarship. They, they, they have to know that I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really good with books. I learn. And uh, my hobby has always been football. So when I had hobbies, I changed the list and I put reading first. <laughs> and uh, I was just waiting you know, to say football and everything. And uh, oh, wow, that's great. You like reading. Tell us about the last book you read. Okay. Um, and I was quick. I mentioned the name of a book that I didn't read myself. Somebody told me the name of the, uh, he told the story. So I mentioned the name of the book. And the mistake, first was the lie. Second was the fact that the book was so popular, so they all know about the book. So this, the st question started coming. I didn't get the scholarship, and I knew it was because of that moment. You know, and that moment really changed my life so much that next time, the next time I was uh, at the interview, I just prayed to God, uh, this time I'm, I'm not going to mess up. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to speak the truth and everything. Yeah, and it went well. Yeah, it changed, it changed my life so much. But I used to read a lot of... Um, uh, stuff like academic stuff and uh, any Christian thing that I would was just the Bible. I wouldn't read any Christian book or anything. I wasn't brought up with that culture. I, of course, I have friends who did that, but for me, it wasn't part of my life at all. So uh, for the past two and a half years, I have read more Christian books than I have read my entire life. And I, um, this I'm so grateful to God for, you know, because through that, I have seen so many things, a lot of impartation, a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom for, from fellow Christians and believers all over the world. And this book that I'm about to talk about, uh, The Insanity of God, um, yeah, the title is even, you know, striking, The Insanity of God, you know, a true story of faith resurrected. This book changed my life so much. It took me over one year to read it because I started reading it. I put it aside. Like I said, reading is not my hobby. But <laughs> it got to a moment, I'm like, let me get back to this book and see what is, what is in it. And that moment, I took it everywhere, on the trains, everywhere that I was going. And uh, I'm really excited to share about this because I believe um, it's so life-changing. The stories in this book are so great. So um, this book is written by Rip, uh, Nick Ripkin. And uh, it's about him and his wife, Ruth. Uh, they went to Africa on a mission. And uh, what happened was that one time they were in Somalia during the time of the war. But the mission 
was to share the gospel of Jesus with the people there. But what happened was that the humanitarian needs at the time were so huge that they focused on that and less on sharing the gospel of Jesus. So, and they saw a lot of things, like they were in the war, uh, they saw people being persecuted. Of course, the, Jesus wasn't so much known at the place. It was also risky putting their lives at risk and sharing and talking to people sometimes about Jesus and all that. And even during that moment, they lost one of their children. It was a very tough time. He calls it the dark moment in their lives. So after seven years in Somalia, they wanted to go back to uh, the U.S. because they thought there is no point staying here again. Uh, I mean, how can the gospel of Jesus Christ survive, let alone thrive, in a dark place like this? So they went back to the U.S. And I, I read this uh, passage when they were going home. He had, they, they had these thoughts. He says, our souls were weary. It was clear that we were coming to an ending of some kind. Was it worth it or not? What could we have done differently? Can faith in Jesus survive, let alone thrive in such a hostile place? I finally understood how Jesus' disciples must have felt on that dark, despairing Saturday between the cross and the empty tomb. Even in my own dark time, I did not doubt the depth of Jesus' love in his willingness to die for me on the cross. And even in my... Um, on the cross, sorry. And even in my dark time, I did not doubt Jesus' resurrection. Ruth and I felt like the disciple Peter when Jesus was ready to set his face toward the danger and death that he knew was waiting in Jerusalem. Many of his uh, followers turned back and deserted him. When Jesus asked the other disciples if they too might leave him, Peter replied, where else would we go? Ruth and I were captive to the conviction that if Jesus is not the answer to the human condition, what else would be? So these were the thoughts that were going through their mind. And uh, so reading the book, I also, of course, the Bible is with me. I'm checking to see the scriptures and seeing what goes, but um, uh, if everything you know falls in line, and if perhaps God will also speak to me through the uh, through the Bible, and that story about Jesus and his disciples and people leaving because Jesus, what Jesus was saying to them, they were uncomfortable with it, but he was speaking about the kingdom of God. He was speaking about salvation. He was speaking the truth. So a lot of them left. So he asked the disciples, "Would you would you also leave?" But Peter said, "Look, where else are we going to go?" You hold the words of life. You hold, uh, you hold salvation. You are life. Where else can we go? And this is so, so, so important. I believe in our Christian walk, trying and knowing who Jesus is to us is very important in our walk. The moment we miss that point, everything else will fall apart. So when they went back to the U.S., uh, back home, they, th they were still thinking about this thing. But what I got from this book was that like, if God puts something on your heart and you know that this is really from God, God always has a way of making it work. Even if you started in the first time and it didn't work, God has a way of bringing you back. He has the strength. He has the wisdom. He wouldn't give up on you. And so that was what this couple did. 
they sat down, they met with a lot of people, they had friends praying with them. Um, they have a team of, uh, of, of prayer warriors that also prayed with them. The family was very supportive and everything. And what they came to do then was to go out to the other parts of the world where Christians or believers are persecuted because they wanted to understand this. They wanted to know the true story so that they would be able to share. And so he went to over 60 countries. He's spoken to over 600 believers all across the board that he focused mainly in, in the Middle East, Asia, and um, Africa. So I'm not going to, because the, the, there's a lot of stories, but some of the believers that he met were so excited that, you know, even in that moment of persecution, because they, 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 they had to hide, you know, and do their church because the government was after them. But, and so he also needed people who he could trust in this journey. And some of the people that he met actually were surprised that there were other Christians like us in the world that were worshiping Jesus, that knew about Jesus, that were keeping up the faith. And he says that he, their expression actually shocked him, but then more importantly, he was kind of like inspired. Because they asked, are there Christians like that elsewhere? How does it work in your country? How does it work? He told them about it. And they were so excited just to know that, hey, there are other Christians who are worshiping, but they are worshiping in freedom. What, one thing I also got from some of the stories was the fact that Jesus is reaching out to his people. He's reaching out to many people, to all across board. And in dark places like that, dreams and visions are some of the ways that Jesus reaches out to them. So he also narrated stories where he actually met with people who, five guys at the airport, who didn't know each other, but then they uh, had seen dreams and visions of Jesus, and miraculously, these guys came together. They were waiting at the airport for this man who was in a different mission at that country. So the whole thing was so strange to him, but from what he has done so far and the call on God in his life, he wasn't so much surprised. So he also spoke to them, and he got down their stories. But the stories of two people in the book, I'm going to actually share. One is uh, Dimitri. I, I hope I get this name right. Dimitri. So Dimitri uh, from the Eastern Europe, and uh, one of the countries in Eastern Europe. And he started a fellowship, a small group with his family. And the number started increasing from 25. But when the number started increasing, it drew the attention of the authorities. They came to warn him. But the numbers got to like 50 to 75. And the authorities were like, okay, this is enough. And he was arrested. So whilst in the prison, this man would always get up in the morning and lift up his hands and face the entrance of the, of the, of the cell. And then just, just pray to God. And what he, he says, he sits um, heart songs to Jesus. So this was what he was doing. Of course, the prisoners, a lot of prisoners saw him. And a lot of people mocked him and everything. And the uh, prison officers were not really happy with this. But he continued to do it. And one day, he found a whole piece of paper with a pencil by it. And he calls this a special gift of God from God himself. 
this piece of paper and pencil that he got in the, in the, at the prison. And he says, I rushed back to my jail cell and I wrote every scripture, reference, every Bible verse, every story, and every song I could recall. I knew it was probably foolish, but I couldn't help myself. I filled both sides of the paper with as much of the Bible as I could. I reached up and stuck the entire sheet of paper on the wet concrete pillar. Then I stood and looked at it. To me, it seemed like the greatest offering I could give to Jesus from my prison. Of course, my jailer saw it. He was beaten, like he says, and punished. And he was even threatened with execution. And this moment had come when he was already told that his family, his wife, and his, his, his son were already dead. And one day he told the guys, look, God told me, he showed me my family is alive. I know they are alive, and which was the truth. So this guy didn't give up. He was holding on to what he has learned, the songs he had been singing, the Bible verses that he already knew, which means that what we do over here are going in and are coming out. The time that we get with Jesus, the time that we get with other believers to worship is really, really important, not just for that moment, but it is really, really, really important just for the future, for the dark times, because these are the only things that you can actually hold on. This is the only foundation of truth that you can actually say that, yeah, I can put my life on this. When even sometimes friends and families wouldn't be there, but you know that Jesus is still there with you. Jesus is a friend that sticks with you, and you want to hold on onto his word. And the other story uh, about Stoyan, so Stoyan was 60 years old, and he told a story about his family. Uh, his father was arrested. His father was a pastor. He was arrested uh, just after the World War II. And for nine months, they didn't see their father. Later on, the father was released after like 10 years. But they still faced a lot of persecution. The church. At a point, even what they had to say at church and the way they had to go about in their service was dictated to them by the government. Like, hey, this is what you have to say when you go to church, you know, that kind of thing. But like Dimitri, Stoyan didn't give up. And so this moment when the writer, Nick, finished talking with uh, Stoyan, he wanted to thank him like he did with all the other uh, people, believers that he talked with. He thanked them for their wisdom, for their revelation, for their experience, for their time and everything. And so Nick writes, when I mentioned that to Stoyan and thanked him for his time, he smiled modestly and replied, I thank God and I take great joy in knowing that I was suffering in prison in my country so that you, Nick, could be free to share Jesus in Kentucky. Nick says those words pierced his soul as he looked at Stoyan straight in the eyes. And he says, no, you are not going to put that on me. This is a debt so large that I can never repay you. Stoyan stared right back at me and said, 
son. That is the depth of the cross. He leaned forward and poked me in the chest with his finger like this. As he continued, don't you steal my joy. I took great joy that I was suffering in my country so that you could be free to witness in your country. And he continues, in this, this particular statement, this one I'm coming to read, was something that really stuck with me and even until now. It says, don't ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. That is our witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Don't give up in freedom what we have refused to give up in persecution. So I asked myself the same question, and I believe we can ask ourselves the same question. Have we given up, or are we in the process of giving up what Stoyan and others refused to surrender under the worst forms of persecution? And so I'm in a Western country, um, free to worship three services on a Sunday. We are so blessed to you know, come here. We have wonderful seats. We have a great team that are always ready to serve. Everything's so going on well here, you know. You can even bring your coffee and your drinks in the, in, in the, in the auditorium, you know. This is a huge blessing. But I believe this statement by Stoyan makes us reflect on what we may be missing. Are we too comfortable in our faith in Jesus? And if we are, are we missing out on certain things? What are we missing on? So he also offered what this might mean for us in this part of the world. And he gives a reason for the persecution from all his research that he had done. He said, one, people are persecuted because one, they believe in Jesus. And two, because they refuse to give up on Jesus. That is like they share Jesus. So one, they believe in Jesus, and two, they have decided to share Jesus. And that is the cause of persecution in this world according to what he has done. And I agree with him totally. So one, um, he was asked in his church this question. What does this mean for us? And uh, if persecution is coming to Western countries, he says, why would the enemy want to take us up when he has already shut us up? Why would he bother with us when we are already accomplishing his goal? He will likely conclude that it is better for us to sleep. Okay, so this is another thing that actually struck me. I'm like, am I already sleeping? And if I'm sleeping, which state of my sleep am I in? Am I already snoring? You know, but this is, this is serious, and I, I believe that even if we are sleeping so much, our faith is sleeping. Jesus is able to resurrect everything. It is able to resurrect life. He is able to resurrect our faith. And this is what I believe. No matter where you feel, no matter how you feel about your work with God or your work with him, and you might think that maybe you are lacking in some places, I believe God has the power. He is willing to lift us up from where we are so that we can become all that he has called us to be. So, from what I read, I 
there were things that I actually uh, came to understand that one, I need to recognize the, uh, the blessing that I have in this part of the world that I can worship Jesus freely. I can share things about Jesus on Instagram, on social media. You know, nothing happens to you. You can do things, you know, you can actually worship in freedom. And thinking about the people and praying for the people as well, which is very important. And of course, supporting and donating, which actually brings me to a story. So when I was reading this book, when I had resumed reading this book, and I was just, the book was just all over my, all over my life. And on one Wednesday, we went to the church office to, like we do, uh, to call our people who are registered, uh, who have been first time at church or they are registered through our, uh, our system. So we call them and check up on them. If there is any prayer, we inform them about, about events or anything, you know, just to make sure people feel at home. And I just want to say, God bless you all, all people that are doing this in, on Wednesday nights, you know. This is really huge. This is really great. So one of the nights, oh, you can give God a praise for that. You can give God praise for that. So on one of the Wednesdays, and the numbers, if they are new numbers, we actually select them at random. So I call this number. When I call this number, and I was just ready, you know, to go on. Hey, good to see you uh, on Sunday. And then how can we help you and all that? And this guy says, look, I'm not calling from Berlin. And one moment, um, I got confused. So how did you register? He said, oh, I did it online. Okay, where are you? He says, I'm calling from Oman. I mean, his number, uh, um, what I called. So I'm speaking to him from Oman in the Middle East. So I got more confused. I'm like, why would you call this church Oman and Germany? Like, there are a lot of countries in between. This is huge, you know? And what he told me was that, look, I, I have heard about Jesus. And I want to know more about Jesus. And that moment, I'm like, but there are so many churches between Oman and Germany. He said, yeah, I, I, called, I called a lot of churches. I gave out my number and everything, but only this church called me. Isn't that amazing? That we are coming here from all nations and from our generosity. We have a website, a wonderful website, and God bless all those working on the website and everything because people are reaching out. Now we have the messages on the website that people can reach out to it and they can read and God can speak into their lives. And sometimes we take these things lightly. But for God, this is serious business for God. Because he wants to reach out to as many people. But Nick says, this is okay, but this is not the most important thing. Just recognizing that we are blessed in this city, in the free countries, or praying for them is not enough. He says, what is enough? And the most important thing, he says, ultimately, the problem is one of emphasis and focus. We will do well to shift our focus. Quite simply, we will do well to ask ourselves whether or not we are being obedient to Jesus. He is asking us. He is expecting us. He is commanding us to share him wherever we go. He is commanding us to do, where, uh, to do that wherever we are today. It is simply a matter of obedience. Perhaps the question should not be, why are others persecuted? 
perhaps a better question is why are we not persecuted? Hallelujah. And throughout reading of this book and everything, like I said, it has changed my life so much that every time I go down my knees to pray, I say a word of prayer for all Christians all over the world, persecuted Christians. That is the least I can do. That is the least we can do, that we can stand with them. If we don't have the chance to go to them as missionaries, we can do something in this part of it. But more importantly, like Nick says, our obedience to Jesus is the most important thing. It is that that counts. It is not about the system, the political system or the government. That is what he says. It's about our willingness to obey Jesus and that the punishment or the persecution that comes varies from country to country. Today, I just want to encourage you. You are on the right path. You have come to church. You want to draw closer and closer to Jesus. You want to know more about him. But he says, the word of God says, the eyes of God are moving to and fro. He is looking at the ones whose hearts are committed so that he will strengthen them. And this, I believe, is the heart of God. I will strengthen you. It is not easy. It is not going to be easy. But I am going to strengthen you because I am watching you. I have seen your heart. He is the God of comfort, but our walk with him is not a walk of comfort. But when the times of discomfort comes, he is there to comfort like no other. So at this moment, I would like us to uh, pray first for Christians all over the world that are persecuted, wherever they are, you know, families that have been separated, people that haven't seen their, 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 their kids or their, their uh, spouses for so long a time, churches that have been scattered because of persecution, people being afraid to even share Jesus with their family because the moment they do, they would be banished from the family, they will be neglected. Some of them could even be killed for that. So if you would like us to pray, you can lift up your hand with me now. You want to, we want to join with them wherever they are all across the world. And Father, we want to thank you this, for this moment, for your goodness and your grace, O oh Lord. Praying for every believer in a persecuted condition at this time, Lord. We pray that you will send help, that you will send comfort, you will send strength. Jesus, they are trusting in you. That is why they have been persecuted. They don't want to give up on you, and we know you will never give up on them. So even this moment, we are praying that, Lord Jesus, they will feel the warmth of your embrace in everything that you are going through, O oh Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And secondly, um, we always want to give opportunity to people to make this important decision of their lives. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to take a walk with Jesus. You may have heard his name. Or maybe you are here today, you want to say, I just want to try Jesus. I have heard his name every time. My family have been going to church and everything. I don't know him. I don't know this guy. But you want to try. You want to give it a try. You want to see Jesus. I want to give my life to you. I want to take a walk with you. If you are this person, you can lift up your hand if you wish to. 
the lifting up your hands is also because uh, so that our host would also see and then you can approach them. They have gifts to give to you. But it's also for you that you will remember this day so much so. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to say, Jesus, I want to walk with you, Jesus, I want to, I want to be your follower, you can lift up your hand. Anyone? And even if you are shy to lift up your hand, that is okay. But the most important thing is that a prayer will be put on the screen and we are all going to say that prayer together. If for one or two reasons you couldn't lift up your hands, but you really want to take this decision, please pray this with everything in you and we are all going to join you. Shall we please be upstanding as we pray? Father in heaven, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you for your amazing love. I repent of my sins and thank you for your forgiveness. Come into my life and give me a fresh start. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live my life for you from this day forward. Amen.